What's up, guys? Coach Jack here. Welcome to Operation Grip Box podcast, teaching you to live at high performance. This podcast is sponsored by Grit Box, delivering ultimate human performance to you in a convenient monthly box. That's exciting. That's good. And 10% of all revenue goes to help inner city athletes perform and live at high performance. Starting with my Castlemont guys. Appreciate you. What's up, guys? Really excited to bring you entrepreneur, speaker, and former NFL player Corey Jackson on this podcast. Couple real quick notes before we get into it. One, Mr. Jackson's life really changed. His life direction really changed on a decision his father made when he was younger. So I challenge you today to whether it's your son or daughter or someone you coach or just someone that is younger than you and looks up to you, I challenge challenge you to take some time today to be a positive, beneficial, wisdom-dropping influence on their life. As you see, as you will find out in this episode today, what Corey learned from his father and the decision his dad made really changed trajectory of his life and thus uh, changed the whole trajectory of the family's life. Really inspiring. And I challenge you to try and make some kind of impact like that today. Two, uh, Mr. Jackson is an amazing, drops amazing knowledge on LinkedIn with his videos. And I strongly suggest that you follow him on LinkedIn to get his continuous advice on business, sales, sports, and how they kind of all connect together. You know, social media platforms have been so big in terms of helping businesses and influencers grow business over the past few years. And LinkedIn has been kind of an underrated, underused tool that you can use to really grow your brand, grow your business. And Mr. Jackson does an amazing job of being an exemplar for that. So I strongly suggest you follow that as well to get some great wisdom and also to maybe show you the way a little bit on how you can use LinkedIn to advance your career. Without another second, appreciate the time. Let's get into it. Today, I have the honor of bringing on former NFL athlete, founder of Quirks Inc., Corey Jackson. Mr. Jackson, how are you today, kind sir? I am doing great, Coach Jacks. Thanks for having me, man. And out of our pre-talk, today you are in Columbia. And is that where you are based? Columbia, South Carolina? Yes, I am based in Columbia, South Carolina. Home, family, all that good stuff here. This is home base. And family is you, lady, and four boys? Yeah, so I have my wife and I have three boys. Three boys. I have a seven-year-old, a 19-month-old, and a three-month-old. I can't miss, man. I make all boys. And then let's just get started from the start, your kind of origin superhero story. What was it like for you growing up in, in South Carolina? What was the kind of the who, what, where, why, your childhood? Yeah, man. Um, so growing up in South Carolina, man, it's a rural area, right? So I grew up in this rural area. Um, we don't have a lot of money. Um, early years, my dad's working at this cotton mill, man, 16-hour days, you know, just a sweat box, man, 120 degree temperatures all year round. I mean, I'm this little kid and I used to see my dad come home every day drenched in sweat, man. And uh, he had these little cotton balls all over him and he would be exhausted. And he would kind of come, he'd pick me up, hold me up in the air, you know, say, what's up champ? 
put me down, eat, get ready, then he, he's knocked out, right? He's sleeping. He would do this over and over again. And so it was, uh, my parents have a total of five kids, so seven of us, and we grew up in this single wild mobile home. But what really kind of changed my life was those early years where my dad had this routine of doing this. And then one day, he was just like, he was just fed up. You know, he wasn't making any money, barely could pay the bills. You know, we didn't have a lot of things we needed. And he just quit, like, on the spot. My mom goes ballistic, right? You know, I have these five babies, and we all pretty much aged back to back to back, right? Like, and I have these five babies and you quit this job and we can barely pay our bills already. And my dad was like, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, he's like, it's something greater. I can do more. Um, and he literally was driving past this building. It was an empty building. He stopped. He saw the building. He contacted the owner. They sat down for like an hour. And my dad said, I want to put my business inside this building. My dad had, did not have a business <laughs> and he didn't even have a high school diploma. Right. And he had this idea that he was going to put a business inside a uh, building. Um, didn't have any money. So when the guy said, okay, well, I like you. Let's figure out the terms to the lease. My dad said, well, I don't have any money. And the guy said, well, how do you expect to get the building? Right. And my dad said, well, listen, you know, here's what I know how to do. I know I can make it work. Just give me an opportunity, give me this amount of time, and I could pay you. And the guy just liked my dad, man. So my dad walked out the build out the uh, meeting with the keys to the building with no money, you know. And he was off to the races. He started a business. It was a car wash, and just so happened the car wash when he started it. This was back in oh man, like the '90s, early '90s. I was a little kid, small, maybe yeah, like early early '90s. I may have been nine, ten years old at the most, and just so happened the car wash was next to a Walmart day one when he opened up booming and so that changed my life it changed all our lives it changed the dynamic of our whole family and we didn't get wealthy by no means but it changed the idea what we can do and what we can be in this world and the fact that we can control our own destiny and so that was the biggest impression on me early on in life and then why do you think gentlemen who own the building like your dad I'm kind of going with that is how did your dad present himself where this guy went along and agreed to partake in his plan you know as human beings man we have this ability to connect with each other and I think the passion that my dad had and the belief he had in himself um, resonated with the guy, you know, and he's seen a guy who wanted to take care of his family, wanted to build something great, and he believed he could do it. And I think sometimes when you believe that deeply in yourself, it allows other people the opportunity to do the same. And for whatever reason, that resonated with the gentleman and he believed. And he gave my dad the keys and he was there and he started from day one. And then did you help out at the car wash? Oh, uh, yeah. So that was the most, like, beautiful part about the whole arrangement. You know, my dad worked so much. And I, like I said before, he was working those 16 hour days. And I used to have like literally like a few minutes with my dad. Right. And it went from that to I'm with my dad every day, especially in the summers. I'm there early in the morning. I'm working all day. I'm hanging out. But I get to see how he move. I get to see how he do business, how he handle customers, how he handle problems, how he come up with solutions. I get to see all of that and participate in it. And so that changed the dynamic of our relationship because now I'm hands on and I'm right there with my dad every day. And then why do you think it's important that you were able to see that? I think if you don't see it, you don't know, right? Like it's hard to know if you don't see it, if you don't experience it. Um, it's hard to know that you can control your own destiny. It's hard to know that you could be the person that are, that's paying people versus the, the person that's looking for the paycheck, right? It's hard to know that if you don't see it. And so it changed the whole paradigm for me because I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I used to see my dad cutting checks. I'm like, he's the guy that cut the checks. I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that cut the checks. And so that for me was just everything because it allowed me to see something that I, I wouldn't have experienced otherwise.
That's inspiring. When did your kind of athletic career start? Well, for me, when I was five years old, I knew I was going to be a professional athlete. I was this little kid. Um, the first time I picked up a ball, I was a basketball player initially. The first time I picked up a ball, I just knew, you know, it's like, wow, I'm going to be a professional athlete. The problem was we didn't have much at all. So at that time, when I was five, we didn't even have, we couldn't even afford a basketball hoop. So um, I had some older cousins. They were a few years older. And um, my oldest cousin was about eight years older than me. And he took this old bicycle rim, took the spokes out, nailed it to a tree, and we started playing basketball on a tree. And that's kind of how it started. And I tell people all the time, you know, your disadvantages are your advantages. And this is really interesting. The less you have, the more creative you become. And the more creative you become, the more opportunities you have, right? It works that way. And so we didn't know at the time that having less was an advantage for us. And so playing basketball on a tree, one, I was the youngest. So that was an advantage for me. At the time, it didn't seem like it was an advantage, right? I'm the youngest, I'm the smallest, you know, I'm the slowest, I'm the weakest, right? And so it doesn't seem like an advantage. However, you know, when you're playing basketball on a tree, every time you shoot that ball, that ball hitting the tree. And we stay in, the, like I said, in this rural area. So when the ball hit the tree, it's going in the bushes, it's ricocheting. And I'm the youngest, so I got to chase down all the balls. <laughs> and so they sending me to chase down all these balls. But what happens is I developed this you need ability to react very quickly and anticipate where the ball is going to go and get it before it goes into the bushes. And so later on in life, I realized that, you know, when I became one of the, the top rebounders in the nation um, at the University of Nevada, it was because I didn't have a basketball hoop when I was a little kid. And I developed this ability to anticipate where the ball was going to be, you know, and get to the ball before everybody else. And at the time, that was a disadvantage, right? Like, I got to chase down all these balls. I'm the youngest. I'm the smallest. But in hindsight, one of the best rebounders in the nation. So um, it was just uh, your disadvantages, advantages to you. It just has to develop over time. That's incredible. How were you able to do that? Were you watching where the shooter was set up compared to the tree or the basketball hoop, and then you're watching how it's released, and then you're watching whether it's going short or long. How are you doing that? Yeah, so so it's a, it's a couple different ways, right? And so, one, you realize who the shooter is, right? And so each shooter has a on kind of, you know, profile of how they shoot, right? And so some guys are historically going to shoot long, right? They're going to shoot it. If they miss it, they're going to miss it long. And so you kind of learn that. And some guys have a really soft shot. So if they miss it, it's going to rim out soft, right? And it's not going to go long. And so you kind of learn the players and the shooters and how they shoot. And then that helps you understand where the ball is going to be most of the time. And then you play the percentages off of that. And all of this happens subconsciously, by the way. Like, I wasn't like a little kid thinking about this, right? It just right. kind of one of those things that happened over, you know, just the routine of just playing over and over again. And then how was high school? High school was great and it was bad at the same time. When it came to basketball, I had a phenomenal basketball career in high school. Was the best basketball player in my area. Best basketball player in my high school. Average over 20 points over 11 rebounds a game. My problem was academic. You know, I had a lot of problems reading and comprehending. And so I wasn't really strong in those areas, right? And so presented a lot of challenges for me. One of the reasons why when I graduated, I ended up working at Walmart with no scholarship offers, you know, didn't get accepted into school just because my GPA and, and my grades and, and testing and all of that was just low. And I wasn't taking classes that were on college level classes and things like that. I remember specifically, I'm getting ready to uh, go into my senior year and I meet with my guidance counselor. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, I have these issues. I want to go to college. I know that I can play college ball. I know I can do it. And he was like, well, let's see what you got. And he pulls up everything 
everything, all my information. He was just like, man, you're not taking the classes. Somebody would be on pace to go to college would be taken. Your GPA is not that great. We're going to have to find something else for you to do. Like this college thing is may not be for you. And that's how I got to Walmart. It was just like, okay, you know, because it was the truth, right? Like it's easy to accept the truth. What I learned in that process was may not be the truth tomorrow. And so you have the ability to change what's true, right? And so that was true about me at that moment, but nobody knows what you're capable of doing and what you're willing to do tomorrow. So I started working at Walmart, making $7 an hour, going through the process of being an adult, right? And just trying to figure out life. And was this the Walmart next door to your dad's car wash? It was the Walmart that used to be next door to my dad's car wash. They actually, they moved the, to a different location because this is when the Walmart started getting bigger, right? And so as they got bigger, they needed more space and they moved to a different space. So it was the same Walmart, but a different location. And then I coach football and track in a high school here in Oakland, Castlemont, where very rough area, education systems not really setting these guys up to be ready to, if they want to go to college, to be at that level. So a lot of the guys, GPAs, not that good. A lot of the guys, test scores, not that good. And if you were communicating, what would be kind of your number one message you would communicate to them, 16, 17, 18, if what do they need to do to dial in them specifically and then kind of maybe young guys across the country where the high school educational system not really doing them any favors. What kind of advice would you give to get them where they're optimally prepared when they come out of high school? Yeah, I think, you know, so for the record, I was never going to be a 4.0 student or A student. Like, and understand now that I had some challenges. And so it depends on the circumstance of the individual. So it's hard to kind of make a blanket statement. But like, so take a kid like me, right, for example. If you're a kid, have certain struggles when it comes to academics just off of, you know, certain blocks, certain things that are happening that are blocking you from learning a certain way, right? Then for you, you have to figure out how to at least get to where you need to be to actually qualify, right? Like whatever that is, right? Because that may be the best you can do. Like a C student for me, getting to a C is the, that was me. Like that, that was the best I could be, right? Like that's me putting in probably twice as much time as the next guy and you know and I still ended up in that space right and so I think it comes with just kind of knowing and this has got to be self-examination right like what are your challenges and I had to do it for myself because I didn't have anybody to do it for me but if you can figure out like what those challenges are and then figure out how to like get to the best you can be whatever those markers are because for some people they're like oh you only a C student but for you that's the best like for me that was the best I could be and so just figuring that out and then working on those things so that you can, you know, move forward. Um, once I got to college, it became somewhat easier because I had more freedom. And when I mean freedom is like I could experiment with how I learn, right? Like I'm more of a visual slash hands-on learner, right? Like I have to like, even today, like when I'm in my office, when I'm we're going through certain things, I'm in motion, I'm moving, I'm walking, I'm writing things down on the whiteboard. I'm, you know, I'm not a person that's going to sit in a desk, right? And sit in one location and learn and comprehend all this information. And so I understand that as an adult. And so I can, if I'm trying to learn something new, trying to pick up on something different, I use the things that more advantageous for me. And so it's hard when you're a kid because you know have to figure that out or have somebody help you figure out how you learn, you know, and that's the tough part about it. Yeah, I completely resonate with that. I was an absolute terrible student in high school and I'm a kinesthetic learner. So just like what you're talking about, like I, I learned by by doing and using my hands. And for me, it was just this absolute downward spiral 
because I would get in trouble in the classroom because I would have a hard time sitting there. And then they would send me to like detention or something like that, where you're just making a bad situation worse. Because it's like, I'm 14. I don't know how to communicate this, but I can't sit at this desk all that, you know, looking back hindsight and self-awareness with me would have been much better. If it was like, you just told me to go out and back and dig a hole in the ground with a shovel for a couple hours or do a couple hundred burpees or something. I'm sure I'd come in and I'd be a much more positive influence on the on the classroom. And I see that with a lot of young guys out there, you know, a lot of guys like to move. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I think a lot of people don't understand that. Like a lot of these guys are great thinkers. Like I consider myself a great thinker because when I'm in motion, when I'm moving, if I'm exercising, Exercising, I'm physically exerting these energies. Like I come up with the best ideas and the best formulas for these these problems that I have and these new solutions. And I think a lot of us is that are that way, and people don't realize it. And so the best part of you is not even getting exposed to the world because they're trying to like put you in a situation where you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. And for that other person that can sit there for an hour or 50 minutes or whatever it is and and retain all this information, that's perfect for them. But you can't just put everybody in the same box and think it's going to be like, oh, this is the best situation for everybody. It's just not going to be that, you know? And that for me, even when I got to college, I, I didn't, I never went past a C. Like I was a C student. Like, and that was doing everything I could possibly do. <laughs> you know, like that wasn't like, you know, not doing the work. That was doing the work. And, you know, I might have been getting a little extra uh, help <laughs> uh, on top of that, right? To even like get to where I need to be. So, you know, you just kind of know, like you learn different. And then you're at Walmart. You had a dominant high school career. And then where was kind of your mindset after you met with that guidance counselor? And then once you started, you know, stocking shelves at Walmart, where was dated? Were you feeling like you had options? What was kind of the mindset then? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Oh, I went nuts. Absolutely went nuts, man. And when I say went nuts, like uh, street fights, guns, just I was angry. I was unhappy. And I didn't understand why I was in this situation. And not to say that Walmart was a bad place to be. It just, I just knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And it felt like I didn't have a way out. And so I became like super, what do you call it? I started kind of like self-destructing. I started, you know, getting into these different environments that were very dangerous. I flipped my car seven times, for, you know, just off of leaving a friend's house. And, and I'm like, man, put the car, I just floored it, you know, and just doing dangerous things. Just wanted to feel alive, you know, and doing this routine at Walmart every day made me feel numb. I wasn't alive and I was doing everything I can to could to like feel a lot. And unfortunately, when you're that young and you don't have a lot of experience, you do disruptive things <laughs> to feel alive, right? You put yourself in situations to lose your life to feel that thrill of being alive. And so I went through that process. And then one day it just kind of dawned on me. It was like, you don't have to do this to feel alive. Like you can feel alive if you go pursue your dream. Like that's, that could give you life. And it was kind of like that moment. I went to Walmart, quit my job. I heard about the junior college that was in Texas, Ranger College. I heard about it a year prior to that. And so that was fresh in my mind. Like I knew I quit the job, so I'm going to Ranger, Texas. Went to the bus station, you know, bought the one-way ticket, jumped on the bus. You know, I'm out, I'm leaving. And that's how it happened. And then in terms of imprint on your on your mind and your subconscious how big of a role you think it played seeing your dad do something like that when you were younger it was full circle people tell ask me all the time like man how were you you were 19 you were a kid you never been out of South Carolina before like how was you able to do that and I had perspective already I was like well my dad had five kids and a wife 
bills, you know, things that need to be taken care of, food that need to go on the table. I didn't have any of those things. Like for me, it was the easy, easier thing to do, right? I think what he did was way more brave and way more courageous because he had a whole family. And, you know, for him, if it didn't work, we wouldn't have any place to stay. We wouldn't have food to eat, right? And so for me, it was like, it was just me. And so because I had that perspective, easier to just jump on the bus and go. Where I have friends that I was like, hey man, let's get on this bus. And they just like, we're not doing it because they didn't have the same perspective. Yeah, I think that's so important. So easy for, for the general public to kind of judge judge people based off, especially younger people, based off their actions and, and based kind of off behavior that's destructive or, you know, potentially illegal. And it's like for, for people that don't, haven't had that experience or haven't had that perspective, it's just, I just think it's really difficult to be able to, or maybe, I don't even know, in the brain, it's possible to be able to see that I can do this or there is a bigger world out there and we all have different realities and my reality is different than your reality and the guy who grew up in the same situation as you but didn't have that dad who made that maybe dad stayed at the cotton mill he's going to have that different reality and he might not make that jump absolutely and i think that's a major part of it and that's why you know for me i pay a lot of homage to my dad because he had just like me he didn't have any reason to do it like when i say reason meaning traditionally he didn't graduate high school he didn't have any money he never ran a business before you know he has these kids and this wife like all of these other reasons were saying don't do what he's he's doing and i think in life when you're making major decisions life changing decisions you're going to have more reasons telling you not to do it, right? Because that's logic, right? The logical thing to do was to stay at the cotton mill and keep treading water and hope that something better happens, hope that you get a promotion, hope that, you know, somehow, some way you get a better job, right? But the reality of the situation is logic doesn't, doesn't necessarily give you a better life. It just gives you the opportunity to feel, to say it's okay to do it. <laughs> you know, like logic says, he's doing the right thing, right? And that gives you an opportunity to live with the thing that you're doing, even though you know it's not right. But you can live with it because logic says, oh, he's taking care of his family. I know they're struggling, but he has a job and he's doing it the right way. And that's just an excuse to stay where you are. That's powerful. And then what was, how are you feeling when, when you were on that bus to Ranger? Were you excited, nervous? What was kind of the feeling of when you were on that bus? Oh, terrified. I mean, completely terrified, right? Um, I've never been out of South Carolina before. And anybody who ever rode on a Greyhound bus would, would know that if you ride it for any significant amount of time, that bus is going to stop a million times before it gets to your destination. And so I got a two-day bus ride across the country and I had to go to Texas, right? And literally every time the bus would stop, I had to fight with myself over and over again, not to get off the bus. Like, like I wanted to get off the bus. I wanted to go back home. And truth be told, if I could have afforded a round trip ticket, which I could not, right? Which is now an advantage, right? And it's an advantage that I couldn't afford a round trip ticket. But if I could have afforded a round trip ticket, I probably wouldn't have went. I probably would have got off somewhere in Atlanta or Alabama and came back home. So, you know, if you think about it, if luck would have it, right? And we'd be like, how's that lucky? Can't You can't afford a round trip ticket. Well, it prevented me from having, I couldn't come back. I didn't have the money to come back. I had to stay. I had to keep going. Yeah, I think that feeling, well, first let me say it, you were looking for, you said you were looking for ways to feel more alive when you were stuck at Walmart and, you know, that led to some self-destructing behavior and it sounded like this did that. This made you feel like terrified, right? Nervous, right? But you were feeling yeah. alive. 
Yeah, you know, you can't feel much more alive than that, right? Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I don't know what I'm going to eat. I don't know who's going to greet me when I get there. I haven't applied for the school, haven't enrolled in the school, uh, you know. And so this was a very uh, alive moment, right? I was alive. I was just, and you can't relax. I'm on this bus and a lot of strange people are getting on and I have to stay on my P's and Q's. It was just, I was alive, 100%. And then you get to Ranger and play your way onto the team. And one thing, you very successful player and basketball great at that and what was there any teachers or mentors or coach at ranger that really kind of helped propel you to the next step yeah so so ironically so so at ranger i had two coaches uh our head coach whose name is todd neighbors and we bump heads a lot right so that's why i say it's ironic we bump heads a lot you know i was the guy that showed up on the bus you know the other guys that were on the team he picked them right and so it seemed like everything that i had to do i was literally the greatest athlete on the team athlete no one was better than me, literally. But everything was so much harder for me. And, you know, because me and him had this back and forth power struggle and we just didn't, we bumped heads a lot, it made me so much better. You know, we didn't have a uh, strength and conditioning program there because we didn't have no budget for that. And so I created my own program and I started working out and training and the teammates came and trained with me and I started, and I earned the respect of my teammates, you know, the kid that got off this bus who think that he deserves to be here, but, you know, nobody knows who who he is. And so everything was so much harder for me and coaching neighbors just did not make it easy for me at all. Um, we had a lot of run-ins and ended up making me so much better and so much stronger. And then I had another coach, assistant coach, Abar Rouse, and, and he was just so supportive. He saw more in me than I saw in myself. He encouraged me in ways like when it was tough and when it was hard, he was there to kind of like, man, look, you are amazing. You know, you're going to make it. You're not going to, this is not it for you. And so I kind of had those two dynamics happening at the same time. The one coach that we're bumping heads a lot and then the other coach that says, man, look, it's bigger. It's a bigger vision. You can make it. You can do it. And that was a great experience. And then you get that, and real quick on that, you use that word create to kind of create your own strength and conditioning program. And that seems to be a very common theme in your life of, you know, creating stuff to propel me forward. And where do you think that came from for you? Well, you have to think, right? Like when you don't have a lot, right? When you used to not having a lot, right? We didn't have a basketball hoop. We had to create a hoop on a tree, right? And so when you don't have a lot that way, you become very creative and you look for solutions versus focusing on the problem. And so I learned at a very young age, look for solutions and find solutions. And you went to Nevada, Reno, Wolfpack, very successful as a basketball player there. And senior year, basketball season ends. Walk us with kind of what you were expecting moving forward and what actually happened. Yeah, so I had a fantastic season, averaged a double-double, was one of the top rebounders in the nation, one of the top power forwards, expected to, if not get drafted, uh, sign as a free agent on the NBA team, you know, went to the, you know, got invited to the summer pro league at the time was out in Long Beach, played, did well, didn't get offered by the NBA teams, um, but I got a bunch of offers uh, to go overseas. So it kind of brought me to a place where now I have to make a decision, like what do I really want to do? What is this really about? You know, I'm at that point where now I got to figure it out. I wasn't extremely excited 
about going overseas because I always dreamt of playing at the highest level. I always knew that, you know, I was the ultimate pro and I know that I could play on the highest level. So I decided to go back to school because I wasn't done with my degree. And back to this whole, your disadvantages is your advantage thing, because I was slow in school, it took me longer, I had to, you know, longer to get my degree. So, you know, fortunately for that reason, I came back to campus and the football coaches was like, hey man, you got a fifth year. You can play any sports you want. You need to come play football. We think you've been playing the wrong sport all these years. <laughs> and I did, you know, kind of the same way I went out and showed up at Ranger and, and I came out in football field and showed up, gave it all I had. But one of the things that happened for me was, and this is just indicative of life, I wasn't great, right? I went out and struggled. I only had my career stats so it was one pass breakup, one block field goal, one tackle for loss, and I only played 12 plays, college football. And so when you go through life, whether it's business, entrepreneurship, you can't know what winning looks like in the moment, right? But the fact that I was able to be on that football team when there was a point and during the season where a group of my teammates came up to me and said, hey, man, listen, we know you can go overseas right now, go to Europe, play basketball and get paid right now today. Man, why don't you just go do that? You know, why are you out here? struggling, trying to figure out football and, you know, embarrassing yourself because we had all the media out here. It was the basketball guy turned football guy and this whole big thing at our school. Why don't you just go make the money? And I was like, well, that would be ideal, but I never quit anything before. And furthermore, I just believe I can do it. And so I stuck it out, finished the season, and then I was back focusing on basketball. And then one day, one of my coaches called saying, man, we got 30 NFL scouts up here. They want to see you work out. I go up to the school. We do the workout, walk off the field. My phone starts blowing up. Agents calling. Man, we want to represent you. We heard you killed it in your workout. Man, we know you're going to get drafted. All this stuff started happening. You know, just back to back, all of these calls. And my life was different from that moment. And then real quick on your thought process, you said that before you had the opportunity to play overseas and you took some time to really think on whether or not that was the best option for you. And I think something that's not really talked about, to actually really think about who we are and what we want is extremely difficult. I think it's more difficult now than ever because it's so easy to get distracted with kind of the unlimited content that's that we have access to on our phone or on our tablet or whatever we get bombarded with. So I'm wondering, when you say you really took some time to think, what did that look like for you? Was that writing stuff out? Was that while you were walking, you were trying to process? What was that process like for you? Yeah, you know, I always think the best when I'm working out or training, but I use the word think, but really it was more of feel, right? And it wasn't a hard thing because you know when something feels right. And so you don't have to negotiate as much with yourself when you know when something feels right. But for me, it didn't feel right. You know, going to Europe, playing basketball just didn't feel right for me. And so, and just kind of going through that process of feeling that I just made the decision. I'm not doing it. And the scouts blew you up and you made it onto a NFL roster, started with the, the Cleveland Browns. In terms of performance, what I wanted to talk to you about in your time in the NFL is why do you think people in the NFL take their craft so seriously? Why are coaches, you know, 100-hour work weeks, madmen, wire players, world-class training camp every day. Why is it that you feel professional sports, all the men, or I should say men and women in professional sports, that they, they're so serious about their craft? I think because it's so personal, right? It's so personal. You have a physical task, and a lot of times it's, I'm facing off with you, made a better person win, right? Whether that's track, whether that's me going against an offensive lineman, it's competitive, right? And 
And so when you're playing for competition, it's personal. You know, I know that I put in this work, right? It's just like being an entrepreneur. I know how many hours I put into my craft, right? I know how much time I put into it. I know how much effort and energy I put into it, right? And now it's personal. And so that is one of the things that always win, the effort part. It sounds cliche, but it's just the truth. If I want it, I have to put in more. And when you get to the league of a professional athlete, like you're gonna have some people that's just gonna be better athletes. Like it just come down to it, like man, oh man, Omano, Omano, they're better. However, which I love the word however, right? Like however, you know, you can do something about it. You can, I used to go against office alignment that just was, I knew was like great. And it was like, well, all I have to find is that one thing. What is the one thing I can do, right? Make me unblockable against this guy, right? That's really what life is about. It's not about like looking at the mountain saying, wow, that's a big old mountain. It's like, what is the one path I need to take to conquer this mountain, right? And a lot of times I think people don't always stop to think, what is the path I can take to conquer this mountain? It's just, they look at the mountain as so opposing and they become fearful of it. And then what was your most memorable experience from your professional football career? Yeah. So, so just to give context, so I didn't have a very long career. I played in the league. I was four and a half years. Um, I had two years on the practice squad, two and a half years on the active roster. And when my career ended, I was literally about to be the starting defensive end for the Denver Broncos, right? So that's context, right? I just wanted to give you that context. Um, so one of the most memorable moments for me was the first time I ever made a team. People have People are romantic in the idea of how life is going to be, right? I'm going to get drafted. I'm going to be a number one first round draft pick. I'm going to, you know, make all this money. I'm going to do all this stuff. And we're so romantic in our idea of how we're going to accomplish our goals. So for me, I'm in training camp and there's 10 defensive ends, right? In training camp. Perspective, only four can make the team. So only it's 10 of us, only four of us can make the team. So, and here's the top four. Three of those top four were former first round draft picks. They were pretty much a lock to be on the team. And then the fourth guy led the team in sacks the year before. So if you look at that situation and you mean, you're saying well, there's no there's no position. They already have four, you know, but that wasn't the position that I took. I was like, I don't need four spots. I just need one. And so because I only need one, all I need to do is just keep being better and better every day. Like, I can't control what these other guys are doing. I can't control how they perform. I can't control if they show up on time. I can't control if they talk back to the coach or not. I can't control none of that. All I can control is me getting better every day, me conducting myself like a professional and giving maximum effort, right? And so that's what I did. And at the end of training camp, the last day, like, so how they do cuts is they do a couple rounds of cuts and then they have the last cuts. So the final cut I made it all the way to the final cut and I got hurt in the last preseason, the game, the third preseason game. So I'm out of commission for like six to eight weeks. I can't do anything. And so it's the day of the cuts. I'm in the, in the training room getting ice and all that stuff that they were doing. You know, they're working on me, a uh, high ankle sprain. I'm leaving. I'm on crutches, by the way. So I get finished doing my treatment and all that, and I'm leaving. And as I'm leaving, I see one of our deepest events walking in the building. And this guy literally led the team in sacks a year before. And as we're walking, my mind just kind of says, well, what is he doing here today? You know, like, you shouldn't be here. You know, it's cut day. And he walked up to me and literally said, hey, man, um, congratulations. You made the team, man. They just cut me. And that's how I found out. 
you know, like they let him go and they kept me. And when he saw me, he knew. He knew I made the team. I earned my way onto the team. And then something we talked about in the prep is you mentioned this this concept of tunnel vision. And why do you think when we're going after something, tunnel vision is important? Yeah, I think that because there's so many distractions, right? It's so many distractions. But when you become a professional athlete, it's complicated. You have to have tunnel vision. But in the business, you have to have a great periphery, right? You have to be able to see opportunities and see the best things to do and how to connect and, you know, how to go to the next level in the business, right? And so it's complicated when you become a professional athlete, but you have to have tunnel vision to avoid distractions. Like for me, the distractions would have been, there's no spots for me on this team. I could have been calling my agent every day, like, man, find another team for me. Get me out of here. This is That's not tunnel vision is saying every single day I'm going to get better. I'm going to show, I'm going to impress the coaches some way, somehow, every day I'm find a reason for them to talk about me. And that is the difference, right? The guys that were calling their agents, they all went home. You know, me, I made the team. And to all the audience listening, uh, Mr. Jackson here has a, has a great vlog that he does on LinkedIn. And one of your videos recently was on this idea of the cream rising to the top and does it rise to the top and if I want to get to the top it's so easy to like judge where am I where am I compared to other people how far am I away why am I not there yet and just kind of this concept of tunnel vision it seems like all of that distracts from dialing in getting focused on your craft and and letting the results happen as they happen yeah absolutely so one of the hardest things to do whether it's business entrepreneurship sports one of the hardest things to do is not to judge where you are like we keep looking around right like man where am I there right and so if you keep doing that you're going to start measuring yourself not based upon results but more based upon time that's why you can hear somebody say man I've been doing this for 10 years years, right? And they frustrated. But it doesn't matter that you've been doing it for 10 years. That's not even, that's not the issue, right? 10 years is just a part of, it may take 20, who knows, right? And, but you have to be able to see the fact that I have to keep churning. I have to keep working. I have to keep going because that's the only way I'm going to rise to the top. But if I'm looking at the time, I'm going to get tired. It's just like you ever worked out, okay, you got to do this drill for two minutes and you're doing the drill and you keep looking at the clock. Every time you look at that clock, you're like, man, it's not moving fast enough, right? And so so you keep looking at the clock and it's the same thing in life. If you keep looking at the clock, you're going to get more and more fatigued. You're going to get more and more tired. It's going to seem like it's even longer. The two minutes going to seem like four minutes or eight minutes, right? And so we have to stop looking at the clock and just look at the work. And it's all about the work for me. I agree. And I think that once we focus in on the work and we complete that our time spent for the day, whether it's training or whether it's business project or whether it's, you know, absolutely anything, we feel good. You know, it, then at like right when that we dial in for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, right when that time's up and it's like, okay, I want to go do something else. I know for me personally experience, I'm not thinking about whether I've risen to the top or my where my status is or did this help me along the way. I just feel good about dialing in and, you know, mission accomplished on putting this in with, with focus and let the next day come where in the morning my brain's probably going to go to, okay, where am I? You know, am I compared to the rest of the world? But it's like, no, just dial in, figure out, take the time to figure out what you need to do and then go in on that. It'll happen. And I love the concept of it's not time. You know, it's not about time. Yeah, it's not about time. It's 100%. Like, it's not about time. You know, time is a distraction. That holds true, you know. And so you were about to be a starting defensive end in the NFL. You had an injury? Yeah, so I was about to be a starting defensive end for the Denver Broncos. I injured. First, I injured my knee and I kept playing on it. 
and it got worse. And then I overcompensated. So I developed a, a hip injury on top of that. And things just started snowballing. Um, it just went, you know, it just kept getting worse. And eventually I just couldn't play. And then I got released. And so once I got released, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do what I always do, right? I'm going to train, you know, get back to optimum shape, best possible shape I can get into. And I come back, did all of that, put in all of that work, came back, was uh, working out for like, I had a few teams, we were working out, tore a ligament in my foot, boom, you know. And so now that's a whole nother year. So now this is two seasons that I'm going to have to miss, right? And so I went through the whole process again, right? You know, I'm going to train, get back. And then I just kind of had a conversation with myself. It's like, I'm okay with, you know, what I've done. It was one of those things where I got to the point where I'm like, I could keep chasing it and keep doing it. But my body is kind of letting me know, like, there's some things happening. And mentally, I had to find a place to be good with that. And so once I found that mentally, like, well, I don't, it doesn't matter what other people think, because I think that's the hardest part that we deal with as people is about what other people think. So for me, I was like, it doesn't matter what other people think. I know that I could have been a Pro Bowl defensive end. I know that I could be a starting defensive end on a lot of teams. And so I accepted that for myself. And I don't talk about it to other people, by the way. Like, I don't go around saying, hey, man, I could have been one of the best defenses, <laughs> you know, like, it's just a personal thing for me, right? Knowing within me, like, man, I could have been all of that. I understand that, right? But there were some other factors, right? And so from there, I took that energy and said, well, where am I going to focus it? You know, I'm still on the quest, right? I'm still on the journey to be the best. Like, that doesn't go anywhere, right? Like, my competitive nature and the idea that I want to be the best doesn't lead me. And so then I just focus that attention on, you know, myself and entrepreneurship and, and how do I connect with people and be the best I can be in those arenas. That's powerful. And I just had Shade Cotton on the, the podcast. He was, other than LeBron James, he's pretty much widely recognized as the greatest high school basketball player of all time. And this is a guy who did not make it to the NBA. So this idea of what other people think about and other people's judgment, uh, he said something very similar in terms of, I know who I am. Part of who I, the reason I was able to become this good of a basketball player, this belief in who I am and this confidence in who I am. And I know I could have been a great NBA player, but life's putting me on a different path. And I'm going to go after that path, just like I went after it on the basketball court. And this is my life. This is my journey. And I'm not going to, I want to do tunnel vision. I'm not going to worry about what other people are thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Because sports is only a part of the journey, right? Like it's a small part of the journey. It's not, you know, the end ought to be. And so obviously you want to do the best you can possibly can do like while you're in that space, but it's only a small part of it. And so what happens with a lot of guys that I see, you know, they get stuck in that, that vacuum, that time of their lives, right? And they can't get out. So they're trapped in there, you know, and they keep talking about these woulda, coulda, shouldas, right? But that time is gone. It's over, right? It's a distant memory and you have to get out of that. You have to escape. And if you can escape it, then your real true greatness can take take hold. And now the world can really see who you are. And then when you decided it was on your next step in the journey, why did you decide to really take control of your professional career after football? You know, develop your personal brand, speaking engagements, all that good stuff. What was the decision-making process 
process to be like, okay, now that I'm doing this, this is what I'm going to do. And, and this is why I'm doing it. Yeah. It just goes back to the origin, right? I, I've seen it before, right? Like my destiny has to be in my hand. I got taught that at a very young age when I saw my dad move and, and do what he had to do to start his own company. And so even the NFL, I felt the exact same way. And the, the strangest thing is I felt more free when I left the NFL because the pressure of, you know, physically being able to take on these demands that, you know, my body was no longer able to really maintain was gone. And so in essence, what happened was every limitation that was there left because I had no more physical limitations. Like my limitations now is only like, I'm only limited to is how hard I want to work and what I want to focus on. And if I want to keep going every day, right. And giving that maximum effort, well, in sports, you can give all the efforts you can, you want to give. Right. And at some point there is a limitation to that. Like at some point, you can only run so fast. At some point, you can only jump so high, right? And so there's a ceiling. And so the minute I left the NFL, my ceiling went away. And it was just an amazing feeling. That's powerful. And going back to your dad leaving the cotton mill, I just think it's so powerful that it's not only he changed the life for you and your siblings growing up when you were a kid, but him making that decision changed your life and improve your decision-making processes and what you're capable of and all the possibilities all the way through. Like it sounds like it's still changing and benefiting you. Yeah, what it did was it changed the legacy for our family. So my kids, their kids, and their kids, right? Like, so the things that I do with my kids now, the things that they see is directly come from that experience with my dad. And so my nephews and, and what they see and, you know, my niece and what she sees. And like, so this effect, it affects the whole origin of our family where it begins, but also where it's going. And so, you know, it started with my dad, right? My dad didn't even have a father, right? And so his dad died when he was a baby. And so he did things out of like, literally have to figure it out for myself. Like, I don't have a guide for that. I don't have a, a map for that. And so somewhat intelligent enough to understand what he did and how that applies to me, right? I don't do what my dad does career-wise, or but I use the same principles. And it's those principles that allow me to be in the positions I am now to work with other athletes, to partner with companies, to, you know, have equity in different companies and brands because I understand how to negotiate and how to walk in a room and lead with the kids, right? You know, like that came from him. Powerful. It's such a valuable skill to be able to look at different people in your life and what can I take from this person? You know, good, bad, indifferent. And, you know, why isn't that something that we're taught in school? But it's absolutely amazing. And then you did a great job. You continue to do a great job, but after your professional athletic career to, to build your personal brand. And I'd love for us to kind of delve into a little bit Quirk Sync. What is it and why did you start it? Yeah, so Quirks basically is a company that I started to connect athletes, brands, uh, companies in different ways, right? And so just to kind of give you a deeper view, our tagline is there's more. Right. And so that's in direct relations to athletes and how there's more that they can give, more that they can do outside of sports to solidify who they are or who they, who they are as, as people and as entrepreneurs, as, you know, business people. And so for me, starting a company was about being able to create these opportunities that didn't exist. And when I say didn't exist, didn't exist in one medium, in one place that allowed it to be easier for guys to know and understand how to work. You're an athlete, so they're like, okay, here's your check. You go play your 
sport and then everything else you're left to figure out for yourself. And so my idea was like, well, let's make it much easier than that. Let's make it much easier when guys need certain things. They want to connect to certain companies, certain opportunities, certain brands. They want to be involved in certain corporate events. Let's make it easier for them. Like, let's make it where it makes sense, right? Because if you're asking me to play sports full time and then turn around and understand all of these different dynamics of different industries and different investment options and all of these things that that's almost impossible for me to do. And so if guys, we, we focus where their focus is, right? So if a guy, we have guys on our platform that focus on investing in tech startups, right? Okay, cool. What kind of tech startups do they like to invest in? And then we understand that, right? And then so then we can put them in front of those type of opportunities to make it easier for them to connect with those type of companies where they can get equity in those companies, whether it's in exchange for them leveraging their platform or them putting in capital or a combination of thereof, right? But then also we have former athletes who are currently entrepreneurs and they have their own businesses and they may be looking to buy another business, right? So now we're talking about mergers, acquisitions, M&A. Like, okay, we can help facilitate these opportunities. What type of businesses are you looking for? Are you looking to buy that business outright 100% or do you want to leave the current owner in place to run this business because they may have the more of a background to keep the business running and growing in, in the right direction. So we have that capacity as well. You know, then we have guys who say, hey, I want to work in a corporate environment. I want to have a corporate job. Okay, cool. We have Quirks Connect where we can connect them to opportunities in different industries so they can work in those jobs, but not only work in those industries, we can translate the skill set from a professional athlete to that current position that they're looking to take to take on, right? Because it's hard for companies to really understand what all goes into being a professional athlete. And so how does that transfer over to you being a major contributor in my company? Okay, we translate that conversation so that they can understand what that looks like. And so that's what we do. And it's all based around the athlete and what they're into and what their interests are and what their desires are. And then why do you think development and cultivation of a personal brand is so important? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the landscape of social media and how people are consuming content and how people are and consumers are directing and getting information, right? And so it's all about being able to create, you know, offer your brand opportunity to have people resonate with you as a person and say, wow, because Corey does that, I think that's pretty cool and pretty interesting. I want to know more about it, right? And so you have to be authentic in doing that, right? Like, so when you're creating a brand, it's all about being authentic and being real because people can tell when you're kind of fabricating things, right? Like, this is not your real personality. This is not really you. But consumers are moving different and personal brands are so important because consumers are moving off of those brands. Yeah, and just going to what we were saying earlier in the conversation of if I'm a young person and I don't see, I haven't seen the experiences around me of what's possible or what I can accomplish or how I can start cutting the checks or if how I can see the world. I just think it's one of the really exciting times that we're in is through your phone, you're, you're able to find someone that you can connect with and resonate with way before, like just 10x more, 100x more than we could before in terms of, you know, those standard mediums of, of television or now the options are endless to find people that we can connect with, that we can, you know, mentors in our head to, to really guide us on our journey. And then what have you seen with athletes in their transition to developing their brand more 
than who I was on the field or, or who I was on the court? And, and what's the process that to maximize that? What's the kind of process that needs to happen for them? Yeah, so I think it's one of those things that guys are still figuring out because it's still fresh. It's still pretty new. But I think that as an athlete, you have to be more personable and you have to share more of you and who you are. And so a lot of guys I follow to share clips of them playing football, right? And so what that does is it just keeps embedding in people's mind that, you know, okay, you're a football player, you play for this team. But that doesn't open up the identity of who you are. And why would I follow you once you take that uniform off, right? So guys have to do a greater job of sharing more of who they are outside of the uniform. And when you do that, people become in love, fall in love with you the person, not you, the athlete. And so that's one of the things that we really try to drive home, right? Like you want people to fall in love with you, the person and your personality and what you're doing and and the interest, the things that you're interested in. And you want them to fall in love with those ideas because once you take the uniform off and if all you've showed me was you was a really great athlete, I have no other reason to pay attention to you. And being a great personal brand is all about attention, right? Can you get people to pay attention? And that's what everybody's fighting for in today's world is attention. And if you can't garner attention, then it doesn't matter. Your brand is not relevant. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Then even more, the opportunity costs because you've already built this platform, right? Where you have people that are still engaged with you and following you. And how do you use that? Yeah. Understanding what channels is work best for you, right? Like I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, but you know, I get thousands and thousands of people following me on LinkedIn. It just works better for my brand. It's a better medium for me to use. And so I use it to my advantage. I don't try to say, well, because Facebook works really well for such and such. Let me like try to have the best Facebook in the world. And it's like, well, where are people really paying attention? Well, in LinkedIn, people really paying attention, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people paying attention at any given time when I put out content. And so I understand that my content works really well on LinkedIn. Um, Now, do I share content on other medias? Absolutely. But I understand where my bread and butter is and I understand where my biggest return is. And that's important. And then just kind of the teacher part of me coming out, you mentioned talk earlier, your your older son's doing a, a, a summer camp this year where it's, you know, it's sports, it's arts, but it's also media. And do you feel that it's important kind of the era we live in that, you know, everyone at least has some kind of foundational knowledge of, of media and social media? Is that kind of a mission critical skill in terms of professional careers at this point, you think? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like anything else, Coach Jack, like you, we have people every single day that just consume media, right? And there's just consumers of it. And then you have people like you and I who are producing media, right? Like, we're the producers and we're putting information out and we're having people follow us and people are engaging and they're taking our content. And so when you're dealing with like little CJ, he's seven years old. I talk to him about content and like how to put out content for people to consume. And so don't just be a consumer of content. Like you have to put out great content for people to consume. And that way you put yourself in a position to be able to profit from that. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. And I think like innately why this content age is so has just absolutely taken over the planet and why it's not going away is like we all want to create stuff. We all want to leave an impact on the world. It's just, you know, it's like what you said. It's like finding that medium of how we're able to do that. Ideally, how old is Quirk Sync? How long is that? 
Yeah, so we're a little over a year old. Yep, very fresh. We started on the concept a couple of years ago, but we pivoted and changed directions a little bit. So the actual concept as we know it now is about a year old. And then ideally, what's where do you see it three years from now? What's in your vision, you know, at it at its best, it's making its maximum impact. What's going on? Yeah, so right now we already built out uh, several different compartments. And so we have the the Quartz Connect, like we were talking about how we connect athletes and brands and athletes to corporate opportunities to work. But then we also have Quartz Media, where we're doing a lot of the things that, that from a branding standpoint and content standpoint. And then we have the Quartz Finance. We're creating opportunities for athletes to work in situations as money managers, if you will, to be able to not only just manage their money, but manage other people's money and understanding how that works and open up opportunities for them from an employment standpoint and be able to grow from that side. And then we have Quartz Capital, where we invest back into different companies, um, whether it's companies that athletes have started or companies that we think that will be a good fit for our portfolio. And so if all of those engines are working, you know, at 100%, then we'll be a very, very, very successful company. And then if I'm an athlete that just finished my career and I want to be more than just a face on the field and or someone on the basketball court, what do I need to start doing to really start cultivating a, a strong personal brand? Well, ideally, you want to do it before you finish your career, right? Ideally, it's some relationships. And so if you're still playing, you need to get down on the ground floor and build as many relationships as possible in the industries and the places that you really care about, um, the things that you're really interested in, interested in, and meet as many people in that space that are important because those important people want to meet you because you have the uniform on. Um, so that's the ideal thing to do, right? Build and cultivate those relationships now while you're still playing. So now, like when you get towards the end, you can send a, a text message to five or six different people and then you can have something actually happening right away versus having to say, I got to figure out who to call. Like those people are going to pick up your call because they know you already. And now you can say, hey, my name is Corey Jackson and I have Quirks Inc. And here's what we're doing. And here's how you can be a part of it, right? And now that conversation goes a lot easier and things move a lot faster. But when you wait to the end and now you're done, you're trying to cultivate relationships, which is much harder to do. Um, not impossible, but much harder to do in more time because people, are, they still will meet with you, but that you don't have the same drive, the same urgency as if, if I say, hey, my name is Corey Jackson. I'm the starting defensive end for the Denver Broncos. And I would like to talk to you about your company and what you're doing. Can I come visit your campus? Right. That's a different conversation. So ideally, you want to do it while you're still playing. Yeah, I think a Magic Johnson in his last year with the Lakers where he went to every single fan who was sitting courtside at the forum throughout the year and just introduced himself, shook their hand and said, can you take me out? Can I take you out to lunch? And the reason for that being, obviously, if you're sitting front row seat for the Los Angeles Lakers, you're doing something successful professionally, making some, you know, some good money. And he built those relationships and man, did he take that to the moon or what? Absolutely, man. And it doesn't change. It doesn't matter how much time goes by. It doesn't and change like it's about relationships and you have to be willing to tear down that pedestal that people put you on get down and say hey listen you know i want to meet people i want to connect with people who have done some really great things and i want to learn from them and they're willing to tell you anything that you need to know because they respect you and they admire the fact that you are a professional athlete because that's one of the hardest things in the world to become 
Yeah, I think of Mike Gerson. He's a performance specialist with Special Naval Warfare, teaching those guys for 15 years. Then the Seattle Mariners. What he, one of the things he continuously teaches, he talked about, is just having this white belt mindset of always learning. And I can't imagine, it must be so hard as a professional athlete where for however long that run was, but I mean, going back to when you're a kid where everyone's looking up to you and idolizing you, that just seems like such a valuable skill to be able to like what you said to step off the pedestal and and gain a white belt mindset is, I mean, that just seems so important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that's kind of difficult when you're an athlete because a lot of people around you are saying, hey, no, no, like, listen, need to do a whole lot of that, right? Like they're trying to, a lot of times, insulate you from people, but people are the very thing that like make things happen. It's the reason why deals happen, transactions happen, real business happen, right? It's because people, every time I do business, it's typically because the people they like and respect, like, wow, we really like what you're doing. We really respect who you are. I want to do business with you, right? And so if you're not creating that type of atmosphere, then it's going to be very difficult to create success. Yeah. I think about one of my football players, this guy, really good athlete. He's going to be a senior and he underachieved last year. Very ambitious young man. He's like, well, I want to go into business. I want to go into commercial real estate and I want to go to college and I want to study business and I want to study psychology. And maybe I shouldn't play sports right now. I want to dial in. And my persuasion tactic to him was, look, you got all these different personalities on this team. Let's cultivate this skill now. You know, cultivate this skill in terms of how you develop a relationship with this person, how you interact with this person, which is going to be different than how you interact with this person, which is completely transferable to what you want to accomplish professionally. You know, this development of relationships and meet people where they're at, connect people with what their interests. So important. Yeah, absolutely. And then he also should go right now at the very age he is right now and find people who are already investing in commercial real estate or working in that space and meet with them right now in high school. He should be having the conversations. Tell me about how you started. What did you like about it? What attracted you to it? You know, what were some of your biggest failures? What were some of your biggest successes? You know, what is the best advice you can give us my age right now today? Like, what would you do if you were me right now today? Like, where would you focus your attention if you wanted to work in that space? Like, really ask the real pertinent questions that can allow him to put together a, a plan to move forward in that space. So good. So wise. All right, Mr. Jackson, I want to give you some some rapid fire questions here and you could answer it in one sentence or one word. No more. Okay. Okay. What is something that you are really interested in that most of the world does not know about? Cooking. Who is the most interesting person you have ever met in your life? That's a great question. Probably right now I have to say my seven-year-old, CJ. What are you better at today than you were a year ago? I would say closing deals. What personal limits are you currently stretching? I think being able to, uh, I think personal limits. I would say really being able to stay organized because I'm not like organizational is not my thing. And so being able to be organized in, in my space is, is probably one of the limits that I'm stretching right now. Man, I know that battle for sure, especially with young boys too. How do people build trust with you? For me, I put out honesty and I put out authenticity and usually that creates trust from people. And biggest life lesson you have learned in the last six months? You have to always get more help. <laughs> you crushed the rapid fire section. And last question, this doesn't have to be one word or one sentence, but what advice would you give for an 18 year old, struggled in high school, low test scores, he barely graduated, now he's working at Walmart, 
and he's starting to engage in you know, some self-destructive behavior, wanting to feel alive, has high ambitions and leaving an impact on the world. If you had a conversation with him, what, what advice would you want him to walk away with? It's simple. Whatever that thing is, whatever that thing deep down inside of you is that drives you, you have to do it. It doesn't matter if you can see the finish line or not. Like You just have to start doing it. It's just that simple. Just start. And for me, my start was just buying a bus ticket, getting on a bus. I couldn't see any further than that. And I think that's the answer. Absolutely powerful. Mr. Jackson, this has been great pleasure and best places for people to connect with you on social media. Yes. So if you're a company, your brand, go to quirks.com. You can easily sign up, start to uh, connect with our athletes. Um, and if you want to connect with me personally, I'm definitely on IG, Quirks app on IG, as well as Winning is a Lifestyle. That's my personal page, Winning is a Lifestyle. Obviously, LinkedIn is really big for me. So if you're on LinkedIn, definitely follow me on LinkedIn because I put out a lot of content, a lot of videos, hopefully uh, things you enjoy. Yes. And just to, to back that up, not just content, high value content in terms of what you're putting online and, and the blog you have on LinkedIn. Everyone should definitely check that out. And Mr. Jackson, I look forward to talking to you soon and having you back on. And I appreciate you. Appreciate you, Coach Jack. Thanks a lot, man.